Cliff Central is turning one, and to celebrate, we're giving away half a million rand in smartphones. Half a million rand in smartphones. You could win just by listening to Cliff Central on WeChat every day during every show. Yeah, baby. If you want an upgrade or you need a new smartphone, we'll hook you up. Win with Cliff Central and WeChat for the month of April and visit cliffcentral.com for details. T's and C's apply. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon, it's 1.04 p.m. and you're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. My name is Kingsley Kipuri and I'll be your host for the next hour. Today I'm joined in studio by Daily Maverick reporter Greg Nicholson uh, and Daily Maverick contributor Gashwell Brooks. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, Kingsley. Good, How's good, it? Good, good. Welcome back, man. Today we have such a packed show lined up. We'll be talking about the xenophobic attacks. We'll be talking about the DA post Helen Ziller and, and even running up with, with, with Hillary Clinton, who's announced she's running for president. Um, but before we get into that, I want to talk about briefly something that happened last, last Friday. Um, we had the, the 22nd anniversary of the assassination of, of Chris Hani. Uh, that's a, a true struggle hero. That's former leader of the SACP, the Communist Party, and, and chief of staff of Omkonto Sizwe MK, the armdring of the ANC. Um, Greg, we, we, we talked briefly about this on the weekend, and, and you mentioned that you find there's, there's often something that's a bit lacking whenever we talk about some of the struggle heroes, especially uh, those that have since passed. Yeah, I think, Kingsley, we we're talking about how often these days we venerate our leaders and and we really talk about, you know, Chris Harney and and Sasulu, your Tambos, even your Robert Sabukwes, your Steve Beakers, these 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 great struggle heroes past who who really made a huge contribution to the struggle and to, to getting South African society to where it is today and to creating an, a, a, a democracy. But what we often don't do is we don't talk about who these people are. So for younger guys like you and myself and yeah. maybe even Gushwell, um, it's <laughs> often, o- often we don't really understand who these people are and, and, and what they were like. So what we wanted to do today was to get someone on the line and, and to just to just ask about who was Chris Harney? What was he like in person? What was his character yeah. like? Um, was he, did he have a sense of humor? Was he just a, a, an intense revolutionary? Yeah. Well, what, what was it like actually meeting him, spending time with him before the days of his death? I mean, you're right. I think, I think, I think sometimes there's a big gap between some people that we, we hold on such a high pedestal and, and, and those of us who are here today. Anyway, you're right. Let's talk to somebody who actually knew him. Um, we'll be talking to General Bantu Holomisa, a member of parliament and president of, of UDM. Um, General, are you here? Welcome to the show. Yeah, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. For, uh, thank you for coming on. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, about how you first met uh, Chris Hani? Well, uh, the first time I met him uh, was in 1990 when he came back from exile. Other than that, uh, we communicated uh, as early as 1988. Mm. 
So I remember this particular evening he arrived uh, accompanied by Paolo Jordan and uh, a late Steve Trotter. We met at Nkululekweni, uh, one of the government houses uh, in Umtata. And uh, of course we met for the first time and uh, he was thankful for for what we have been doing in the region and uh, very fit person uh, uh, articulate himself well and uh, I was uh, I would say what I saw is what I was told about what kind of a person he was and later on uh, he helped us a lot in in Transkei to brief the, my cabinet about what was the plan for the ANC by getting involved in negotiations. We also arranged meetings for him to address kings and chiefs and many communities in the region. Uh, obviously, he came back again when uh, chips were down, uh, that is when the clerk wanted to arrest him. On this particular incident, I can, if I, my memory serves me correct, I was called by Mr. Mandela, and then I flew to Johannesburg, and then uh, from when I arrived in his house in Soweto, he whisked me away from there to, to see Mr. Sisulu, and then he told uh, me on the way that the uh, clerk wants to arrest uh, uh, Christiane and he doesn't want to renew his indemnity. And then we met Mr. Sulu, three of us, and then I suggested to them, well, why don't we take uh, Chris to Transkei to avoid an embarrassment? And... Uh, of course, Chris, I mean, uh, Sulu and Matiba were saying, will, will the clerk not uh, go to Transkei? I said, well, if he wants to arrest Chris Ani, he would have to apply for an extradition treaty. I mean, rather, uh, I use the current extradition treaty between the two uh, countries, Transkei and, and South Africa then. Mm. I remember... Um, Mr. Zasul was asking to Matiba, Matiba, what is this extra, extra, what extra? <laughs> Matiba, Matiba in his voice, well, Kamala, extradition means that uh, if they want to arrest Christian, they must file in their court here in Johannesburg. I think there's merit in what Bantu is suggesting. So on that evening, same day, so the bodyguards which accompanied me uh, to Johannesburg had to hire cars and took Chris Ani in the evening. The following day he was in Umtata. So he stayed in Umtata for some weeks there or a month, I'm not sure. But uh, when when Big Water uh, heard that uh, Chris was in Transkei, he was the one who called. And he said, uh, my friend, uh, 
my president is very, very angry. I said, about what? <laughs> and then he said, Chris Ani narrated that story. I said, but mm. you know it better. If you have got complaints against Chris Ani, file extradition papers in your court. Let uh, your court go and argue there, and then we will serve Chris Ani on this side to go to our courts to go and argue and oppose that. Then the judgment will be given. And then that's how we scuppered that that, that, uh, that approach of theirs because a few days after that, uh, Madiba and uh, Joe Lovo went to see the government or had a meeting with the clerk and so on. And then that's how Chris then uh, returned back to Johannesburg. And, and, and General, can you tell us, after so long outside of the country, how do you think that Chris Haney was adjusting to returning? Was it hard for him? Come again. Uh, Chris Haney spent a long, long time in exile, and when he came back to the country, how do you think he was adjusting? Was it hard for him to adjust to being back to South Africa? Chris Haney, like all other people from exile, uh, I think they acquitted themselves when they came back. They adjusted quickly because the the reception in every corner where they went was good. They were well received by the people. I think they took strength and warmth from the fact that they were regarded as heroes. And uh, of course, uh, it was not easy for him in particular in Madiba. Because the clerk at one stage says they cannot negotiate while they are talking about uh, arms uh, struggle. Mm. So that's why Matiba then uh, 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 and and his team uh, suspended the 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 the, 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 the issue of arms of arms. And then uh, remember also on that day it was during this period which when Chris was still uh, in Transkei. Uh, it was tough when the news were broke to him, but he had to accept the reality because they had accepted Oar oh, mm. advice that uh, let there be uh, uh, let there be uh, 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 peace, and uh, pro- I, I use the, uh, the peace approach which will culminate in negotiations. You are aware about the Harare declarations and so on. So I would say uh, Chris accepted that. If he didn't accept, he would have not risked uh, himself to come inside the country with senior members of Mkondo Esiso. And when this uh, request from Madiba that there must be a suspension of armed struggle, Chris had to... Uh, hold meetings in Transkei with senior members of Mkondo Esiso, who had already came, come, who had already uh, came uh, between period 88, 89, 90, but they were, we housed them in Transkei. So it was tough for him, but uh, because of his leadership skill, mm. He managed to convince uh, the members of Mkondo Esiso to accept the reality. 
And and general, we we often talk these days about uh, Hani's revolutionary spirit and commitment to the struggle. But was there also a lighter side to Chris Hani? Was he? Did he like to make jokes? Uh, Chris Hani uh, had a good sense of humour. Uh, remember, in nineteen ninety one or ninety two, we spent uh, three weeks together almost every day. In India. In India? Yes. We flew to India. We, we went there to request the Indian government mm-hmm. to train the members of Mkondo Espizo and members of Transcribe Defense Force. So Chris and I led that delegation. We stayed there for three weeks and then he came back and reported to Matiba and the ANC leadership. And the following uh, month, we sent officers to to India for military training. Mm. Some of those officers now are major are generals in and senior officers in the SANTF. And uh, Chris, uh, when he took the podium addressing the senior officers of uh, India, amen, he went to town. Not even carrying a piece of paper, but he knew the history of South Africa, India, and the relationship which was existing between ANC and Indian uh, uh, Congress Party. And uh, <clears throat> but all this, all I'm trying to say, he was he was he was he was a very uh, approachable person. A person who, during his last days, was uh, calling for peace to be maintained, and uh, a gentleman, an officer and a gentleman, uh, I don't know how to describe him, but he was uh, to describe him further, otherwise, other than the words I've expressed. And, and and when when Chris Hani was murdered, um, I assume it must be must have been quite a difficult time for you, losing not only one of the most revolutionary leaders South Africa's produced, but also a friend. Yes, uh, not necessarily a friend, but uh, the truth of the matter is that we were all shocked. I remember this day, President Mandela requested me to go and represent him in Swaziland a brother to the current king uh, uh, called Nat, he was getting married. Mm. And then I went there, flew there in the early hours, took a jet. And then when I came back, landed at Mpeta Airport at around uh, 7 o'clock in the evening. I saw another jet parked outside in front of the airport building. And then the Matiwa security uh, said uh, to me when I was uh, landing there, please, Matiba, I would like to see you in the VIP lunch. I said, where is he going to? Why is he here? I left him in his house. Is he not going to enjoy his uh, Easter weekend? Yeah. They kept quiet. So they just escorted me to see Matiba and then um, asked Matiba jokingly, Eddie, where are you heading to? And you're supposed to, to relax over this weekend, Easter weekend. Well, Bando, 
your friend is no more. Uh, I said, who's that? And then he said, Chris Ani has been assassinated. Mm. And then I said, no, but this is unbelievable. And then he, he, he started to narrate the story. Mm. And then he said, uh, we must, uh, must accompany him to Johannesburg. So the jet I used then took off and it, it left for Joburg and then we we boarded his uh, jet which was arranged by the then governor of uh, South Africa. Uh, what is it? Uh, she was a spokesperson that time mm. of the ANC. And then we landed in Joburg at night, and then Joe Slovo, Cyril Ramaphosa, and some other few officers uh, met us at the airport. And then we were, we had a short meeting, and then Matiba was uh, going to address the nation at SABC. And uh, that's how we we received the news, and then the following day morning, I flew down mm-hmm. the first flight. Then this is when I started to weep for the first time in my life. I don't know how many tissue papers I I used because now it was dawning in my mind that this fellow is no more, yeah. and what are the implications? But thanks God, uh, the, the the appeal by Madiba was heeded by by South Africans. Mm. Absolutely. So I think it's a really a big thank you to, I mean, our people like Madiba and to you for, for ensuring that we were still able to have a peaceful transition. Um, mm. So thank you so much, not only for that, but for, for taking the time to, <coughs> to share the story with us. I think that's all the time we have, but thank, thank you, you so much, General Misa. Thank you. Thank you, man. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I mean, Greg, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I mean, I think there's, I think there's definitely value in, in seeing the human side of some of these people we've, we've portrayed as heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we as, us and, and also other young people can see that they're not so different from some of these people who are now, you know, really well renowned. Well, I'm glad. I think often with the, for me at least, political biographies or sporting biographies, the yeah. most interesting stuff for me isn't about their achievements and the, the, the list of accolades that we already know that someone yeah. has already earned, mm-hmm. but about the stories behind all of those things and the character involved. It's very important because I think that um, the biggest problem that we have, especially on the African continent, um, and it's happening more and more so here in South Africa, is, is that we're creating a cult of personality around the individual. Mm. Uh, so what happens is that Kingsley is not a human being that you know goes to the loo, showers, sleeps, and eats, and does all these very natural things. Mm. Kingsley is a god in the eyes of people. And then what ends up happening is, is that Kingsley and the organization that he's linked to cannot be faulted, and that there is a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. Um, thanks for bringing that up, Kashul. <laughs> Just quickly, on a very different note, we will be giving away um, some goodies. Um, we're having a Cliff Central and WeChat competition. Uh, Cliff Central is turning one this month. And to celebrate, we'll be giving away half a million rands worth of yep. smartphones. Yeah, Kashul's now interested. Yeah, so he's pulled out his phone. <laughs> he's, he's like, okay, to... how do I win? Um, and you can win just by listening in. Um, and Gashel. I'm waiting for the question. Not Gashul. Li- okay, guys, let me get through this. <laughs> You can win a smartphone. 
Uh, just submit your answer and we chat to the question. I'll be asking, we'll be asking throughout the day. Um, so if you want an upgrade or just need a new smartphone, you know, we can hook you up. And our question during this hour is, how many hours is Kelman on Cliff Central? I'll repeat, the question is, how many hours is Kelman on Cliff Central? So please submit your answers to WeChat and you could win an S4. Gashwal's already on his phone He's he's WeChatting right away (laughs) And remember uh, You can call in on 0861-555-189 And you can reach us on Twitter At cliffcentral.com Or directly to me at At Mzanzi Masai Okay, there we go Now I've got to pay the bills, guys Awesome (laughs) That's a brilliant one uh, Jeez, Kingsley giving away uh, smartphones I I don't even have a smartphone I'm giving away smartphones (laughs) (laughs) But guys I want to talk about something that happened on the weekend Now Greg, you were at this Um, So on on Sunday um, Helen Zilla, the the head of the DA (laughs) Announced that That could have been all sorts of things I mean, you were in a lot of places over the weekend That's for sure Um, And she announced that she would not be running for re-election At the head of the party Of the the head of the party now and and i mean greg you were at the press conference um i mean what was the mood like there was it were people surprised was it like a clear united front were people sad what was the mood at, at the press can, can i add one more yeah. question to that because yeah. something i found absolutely fascinating okay. it was at or tumbo international was this sort of mm. something pre-planned or did she just call people up like greg that she knows and like greg i'm here at or <laughs> you know <laughs> i need to say something no i think i think the meeting was at or because they called sort of a, an emergency meeting of their federal executive committee from so people came from across the country. Oh, so that was often, oh, okay. often they Skype in or like uh, have have video sort of calls in. I think and, the, and this one I think they just called it so everyone could arrive and go straight from the airport to the meeting. But the mood on Sunday uh, it, it actually started out with us. So they called this press conference for eleven thirty. Um, there, there was a, a decent sized contingent from the media who arrived just a little bit before that, mm-hmm. and we ended up waiting till I think almost one o'clock, which is extremely unusual for a for a Democratic Alliance press conference. And of course, in that time, I think, I think what I enjoyed most was just the speculative tweets in that time beforehand, you know. Mm. There, were, there were tweets talking about, will, is the DA going to announce that they're taking the three suspended economic freedom fighters or expelled economic freedom fighters into the party? <laughs> so, 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 someone tweeted that they're dis- disbanding their, the DAs is disbanding their armed wing. Um, <laughs> ADT. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> so, 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 so that's how it started out. <laughs> and, and so eventually, and, and, and actually you could tell it was a tense meeting because initially we were standing maybe 10 meters sort of in the hallway where, where the meeting, for away from where the meeting was taking place. And mm. at some point, one of the, one of the media liaisons from the party came and told us, no guys, go and wait downstairs by, by the bar sort of pool area, which, you know, being journalists, we didn't mind too much. Yeah. But, <laughs> but clearly it was, clearly it was a tense meeting. And, and so, and there was no information coming out from that meeting at all. Didn't beforehand, none, none of those, the, the DA members inside let anything slip. But when we eventually got into the meeting at around about one o'clock, I found it quite odd because a lot of these DA members who we see quite regularly, um, all of a sudden seemed very tense or tired or any of the sort of bloodshot eyes and just thinking, what the hell happened in here, you know? <laughs> and so Helen Zilla quite quickly, um, Announced that she wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be available for, for re-election yeah. to the leadership of the Democratic Alliance position. And it, it was, it was hard to say. Uh, all, all of the other leaders of the DA, so people like, uh, Musi Maimani and John Moody and so on, were very surprised. They said they'd only heard about it that day that she wasn't going to run for re-election. And I think there was quite a spirited debate within, um, within that federal executive meeting, some people supporting in her in her decision, some people arguing that she should stay on. 
and 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 sorry, I'm just getting signals from Kingsley in the studio, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and so. So I think I think the announcement was one really that hit hit the DA leaders with shock. A lot of them, because mm-hmm. now they're just going into a complete new era of of what does this mean for the party? Helen Zilla has has taken the party. I think from a, what did they get sixteen point something percent of the national election in two thousand nine to over twenty two percent in two thousand and fourteen. She's also helped transform the party and and its um, racial its racial look. They've made dents into that idea that the Democratic Alliance is mm. only a party for whites or only a party for the wealthy. And she's also raised through a whole. Um, a whole sort of class of of new young leaders. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, based on that, I mean, I've I've been quite interested as to what legacy you think she'll leave behind. Are we going to remember the person who, who did that much for opposition politics in the country and held the the ruling party to account? Are we going to remember the more brash side? Um, she's often you know getting into arguments on Twitter and and she's had some spats with journalists. So how mm. do you think that's big enough to actually affect her legacy? Or are we really going to remember what she actually did for the country? With all due respect, look, Helen Zilla has not been the kindest person in the last year or so. Mm. Let's be honest. Um, she she is. I mean, I saw her spat with Eusebius Makaiza via Twitter, which I thought was a bit childish on both their sides. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that um, Helen Zilla, yes, has been extremely acrimonious with the media. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, she hasn't been the most comfortable person to be around. But I think that, again, going back to what we just spoke about, about the humanity of a leader, yeah. we shouldn't detract from the fact that this woman has grow, grown this party and has turned the DA, not only into just a, an opposition a party, but a legitimate government in the Western Cape. Mm. A, a government that is challenging the current ANC and making people think that, but wait, hang on, is, is, isn't that what governance is supposed to look like? At least, whether rightly or wrongly, but yeah. that question is being asked. Uh, whereas under Tony Leon, who, who was a predecessor, yeah. it was oppositionist po- politics. You know, under Tabo Mbeki, um, it was commonly said then uh, that Tony Leon knew what he did not stand for as opposed to what he stood for. Whereas Helen Zilla transformed that largely. Um, apart from that, she grew the party, as Greg just highlighted there. Um, and then these are the, that's really the legacy that she's leaving behind. And I think for for especially politicians in the political scene, I know Encarta uh, Freedom Party was asked, "What do you guys think about uh, this transformation that she, you know, this this transition that the DA is going through?" And um, their response was, oh, "Well, we don't comment on other uh, on other political parties. Of course, you wouldn't." You have had the same leader for the last how long? Yeah, <laughs> right. So you wouldn't necessarily. They, they don't yeah. get into that. Uh, you know, you, you, and it's not nice to say, uh, guys, we don't believe in this democracy stuff. Uh, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's, for me, I think that's that's really a contribution. Absolutely, guys. We're just gonna have to quick, quickly go to a break. I'm sorry, and we'll be back just after this commercial. Hi, Dave from A1 Builders in Pretoria. Yeah. It's Dan. I found your number on the internet, and I need you to build me a room. The purpose of which I cannot disclose. What? Fine. It's a sunroom. Can you start immediately? It's 4 a.m. I'm sure it's 4 a.m. somewhere, Dave, but here in SA, it's 10. You mean USA? There's more than one Pretoria out there. For the quickest and most efficient way to find what you're looking for, start your search with yellowpages.co.za or download the app. Yellow Pages. For local, reliable results. It has been locked away from the eyes of the world. Chained. Never to be released. But now, it wants to get out. Stay tuned to Clef Central weekdays to find out how you can unleash the Jeep Renegade. Find hidden codes and videos posted by Jeep SA and you could win Jeep Renegade prizes. As well as become the person to single-handedly unleash the Jeep Renegade upon the shores of South Africa. Are you Renegade enough? 
Visit unleashrenegade.co.za to find out. T's and C's apply. <laughs> Just a reminder, you're listening to the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. Um, remember, we are giving away Samsung S4 Galaxies throughout the show. Um, Cliff Central is turning one And to celebrate We're giving away Half a million rand worth Of smartphones You can win Just by listening in And answering the question The question during this hour is How many hours Is Kelman on Cliff Central That is how many hours Is Kelman on Cliff Central um, You can tweet your Not tweet your answer Sorry You can give your answer Through WeChat And you could be selected As one of the lucky winners um, Just quickly to Mike Adewa Um Please submit your response through uh, WeChat and not Twitter. And the question is, how many hours is Kelman on Cliff Central? There we go. Greg, I cut you off just before we went to the commercial break. We were discussing um, Helen Ziller's decision that she will not be running for re-election at the DA. Um, and, and you had something uh, to say about that. I think I think obviously we're looking at her, her legacy right now. And we will, obviously, all t- taking into account all of those different aspects. Um, so she often has quite a caustic sort of attitude to, to other sort of people and it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, including me. You know, often, often it's hard to... It's hard to feel like she's not that sort of leader that you feel like you like, yeah. but you respect her often for what she does. But it might even be obviously we will be talking about her her legacy as leader of the Democratic Alliance. But it's not like she's going away. Yeah. So she's not running for re-election um, as leader of the DA, mm. but she will serve out her term as Western Cape Premier, and that term lasts until 2019. So, so we're going to have her around for quite a while yet, and yeah. I'd imagine she will be. It'll be interesting to see how, how much, how the level to how much involved she is in the new DA leadership and the the trajectory of the party after after she's no longer. I in mean, the that's leadership. my that's my big question. Can she that can she actually step out of being the one who's in charge? Are we gonna, <coughs> is she still going to be the puppet master? Especially why she still wields a very influential position, uh, if not the most influential position for the party. Yeah, for sure. Anyone's going to Harvard at the co- a press conference? Any <laughs> no big announcement. We, we, we thought someone might be coming back from Harvard, but that's another, one of the other things about yeah. this, about this, um, the timing of Zilla's announcement. Mm. It really does make it hard for other leaders, except for Musi Maimani. There are other leaders, of course, in the mm-hmm. DA. But if you want to look at whether Lindiwe Mozabuko might have contested the leadership of the party or not, mm. this this announcement, the timing, makes it extremely difficult because Lindiwe Mozabuko hasn't finished her studies at Harvard yet. Mm. All of a sudden, and, and, and she can't really just in a few weeks, I guess, decide to quit Harvard and come back and lead the DA. It's, I think that's too soon. And on the other hand, Musi Maimani is almost in this constant state of election where he's just traveling around to different communities. He's always on TV in parliament. He's always speaking, um, um, responding to President Zuma and the ANC on the yeah. biggest issues in the country. So Musi Maimani is primed to win this election if he goes for it. Um, just because he's, he's always there. He's almost, almost camp, always campaigning. If there's someone that has a, had a very impressive meteoric rise throughout his political career, it's Musi Maimani. I mean, I was very lucky to be able to, to, to interview the guy and have a chat with him. Oh, yeah, tell us about that. And, and what I found very interesting mm. about him is he started off in the ANC Youth League, right? Brimstone and fire and all of that. Um, and, you know, very revolutionary. But there was something within the ANC that he just didn't like anymore. So then he gave the DA a shot, and mm. that's where we've seen this guy just rise. I mean, he went from being spokesperson of the DA to being uh, the uh, Gauteng Premier candidate for the DA uh, to now being the parliamentary leader for the DA and possibly being the party's um, leader. And all of this in about two to three years. I mean, three I, years, I think, are being very conservative. I mean, I think this guy's just been... Yeah. 
I think I think Musi's meteoric rise has number one been because he is a very very impressive individual. Absolutely. Number two, though, he's been backed by many people who've who've pushed him along the way, looking no, sure. looking for as as the DA has done with a number of leaders, looking for a credible, young, legitimate black voice in the party. The question is, along that way, does he have a significant support base? Who he can who he can rally around in times of to keep the party together. Yeah. Um, does so? Do you mean inside the party, or do in, you mean regular citizens? I, I mean inside the party okay. to be able to keep the party together okay. when, when you know, in politics, the the thing is, it's not it's not about winning elections. Mm. It's often just about managing your own party. Okay. And and that's the question as well. Will does Musi Mamani have the experience to help grow the DA at branch level to help to help build the party and and, and increase the number of members that have has and get those members out in volunteer campaigns when the elections come around. And I think my, one of the other concerns about Musi Maimani, although he is likely to be a leader, is his Musi Maimani has shown uh, an extreme ability to adapt to the situations he's in. The best example of that is when we saw him come to Parliament after the last elections mm. as Democratic Alliance and opposition leader in Parliament. Musi Maimani got there, and I think he was still he was still sort of focusing on his little well, people criticize and say the little Obama yeah. um, sort of type speeches. But in there, he, he was all of a sudden competing with these very experienced ANC MPs. Yep. And then also Julius Malema, who, who can win a crowd. He can, he can win headlines no matter what he does. And has been doing that for a long time. And he knows how he does that. And so Musi Maimani sort of in comparison didn't look like the leader of the opposition. It mm. was Julius who looked like the leader of the opposition. And what we saw Maimani do is sort of adopt a, a stronger approach to the ANC and the EFF. And all of a sudden he, he stepped up and started, started taking stronger opinions, started delivering his lines, uh, uh, much harder. And, and, and I think we saw that flexibility there. But then, it's one of those things that we have to wonder if, if Musi Mamani has come into his own stride yet. Has he found his own character and is he, is he ready to lead the party and is he comfortable in his own position and shoes when he's had such a meteoric rise in only four years now mm. from mayoral candidate to a potential party leader candidate? Absolutely. I mean, I think is it, is it, is it realistic to expect somebody other than Musi Mamani to end up to end up feeling Helen I mean, right now with the candidacy, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, yep. the people that have announced and said that they are actually in for the race. I mean, the yep. only other significant name within the DA, um, I don't know, is she still leader of, of the Independent Democrats or is she actually officially, is the ID now part of the DA, is Patricia DeLille. Yep. Um, all the other big names, they've said no, you know, including Lindiwe Mazibuko, who was obviously the very first person in mm. This, I mean, with Helen out of the way, we know that things were acrimonious mm. between the two of them towards the end, hence the, the sudden... Scholarship, <laughs> that's, that's what people say. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Musi seems to be primed to, to, to take. Is he, is he inheriting a, a poison chalice? Well, that's, that's the interesting question that I'm thinking of now. I mean, listening to what you had to say, they're great. Hmm. I think in terms of who, what are the other options for leaders? Who are those two guys? There was this bizarre moment in the press conference when Helen Ziller said, no, there have been two nominations submitted, but no one knows who they it's are. Jack Swart and Neil Els. And, and so <laughs> when she actually finally found those names in the press conference, yeah. all of the DA leaders and all of the journalists just had one of those moments. When they looked at each other, and everyone sort of shrugged their shoulders, like, who the hell is that? <laughs> is it you? People are just like, is that you, Jack? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and obviously there was that 17, 18 year old kid who- I love him, but you told me, Greg told me that he pulled out. I was so excited, I thought- He was there. He pulled uh, out. Apparently no, he's pulled out he, <laughs> Helen Zilla met with the, with the matric students, and, yeah. and <laughs> I think he was satisfied that his, his concerns that the party wasn't following its liberal roots, um, 
he was satisfied that, that, that Zilla and the DA were addressing those concerns. And so, anyway, so, so, so there was that moment when no one knew who these guys were, right? And so obviously that was the key thing after, mm. after Zilla announces it. It's easy for us to talk about Zilla's legacy yeah. and, and, you know, will we remember her as, as, you know, this person who trolls random people on Twitter or <laughs> a legitimate or, politician yeah, who, yeah. Made, who did great things for not only her party, but I dare say for the country. That's right. Yeah. And, but, but the harder thing is to say who will actually lead the opposition yep. and who, who will take the opposition into next year's elections when there are some key municipalities up for grabs. And, mm. and, and seriously up for, up, like, as it could change hands in terms of who governs them. And so, so I think that's what, that's what all the, all the DA leaders started thinking about. And Musi Maimani was the obvious, you know, obvious sort of guy that everyone starts looking to. And we asked him a few times in the press conference, mm. will you, will you, um, be, be nominated and will you stand for, for election? And he said, you know, very sort of diplomatically, um, it's Helen's day. Uh, I have to assess the situation. Mm. I have to speak to the party and my family. Um, but still, I think he hasn't made an announcement yet. Has no, no, he hasn't made any sort of mm. announcement. He hasn't even really hinted as to, mm, e- except mm. that he hasn't ruled himself out, and that's the okay. key thing. Then Patricia Delille, who I think would come with the experience, she would. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if she she's the sort of fire that the DA needs as a leader, yeah. but but she could she could definitely go for the position. But she has, she's she's focusing on. On the West, taking the Western Cape yeah. Democratic Alliance leadership this weekend, where mm. she's up for nomination at their Congress, okay. and and I think she'll be focusing mainly on that. Then the only other person that I think hasn't completely ruled himself out might be John Moody, the Gauteng Democratic Alliance leader. Okay, who you know he he, he could he could give it a shot, and he's also allied with uh, Makshule Ghana, who's going for um, yeah. the federal federal okay. chairperson position. Yeah, because uh, the, what I find interesting is whenever you say, uh, yeah, uh, about anyone. Yeah, it's not a great start. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not putting my money on that. Okay. The, the, hard, the hard thing is with the DA, one. let's be honest, they need a black leader. So that's, so that immediately does, does cut a whole lot of the leadership out, mm-hmm. you know, because they've, they've got a, they've got a number of very experienced, um, white male politicians with, with a large support base yeah. mm. within the party. But the, the face of the party just has to transform. It just has to, and and if they were to elect another white leader, the ANC would have a field day. They would ju- they would just say continually they're trying to transform, and then you've got this guy Musi Maimani, guys like Linduem Mazabuko, good but not good enough, guys like Ambali and Tuli, Mashula Ghana, but but all they are is your puppets. That's that's exactly what the ANC would say. Yeah, and and one of the key ambitions I think of the Democratic Alliance under Helen Zilla has been transforming the idea that. The, Demo- the DA will bring apartheid back. That it is a white party, mm. and I think if it's if it's just simply to elect another white leader, which you know it's, it's a democratic process for their elections, yeah. so they can do it. But if they were to do it, I don't think that would play well in the next elections. Mm-hmm. I think my final question on this: I mean, the idea is for the idea is for the head of the party to eventually contest the presidency with the intention of winning the presidency. Now, if should Musi Maimane be elected the head of the party? Um, from my perspective, he doesn't seem to have a constituency. I mean, Jacob Zuma is very strong in KZN, as we've seen. Um, Helen Zilla in the Western Cape. Does does Musi Maimane have a, a group of people, or some kind of group of citizens, somewhere in the country that he can point to and say, these people back me and this is this is my stronghold? Not Stephen Friedman. Not, not <laughs> <Yeah, that's right. laughs> I don't think he does specifically, but to, to win the presidency, um, it's only the party that needs to make to get the, to get the uh, majority of seats yeah. in parliament. And and the question is, does does 
the DA have have significant support throughout the country, and I don't think, obviously, in the Western Cape, the DA has a has a huge supporter base that's that's done very well, growing from in the last two elections that's grown. Um, I don't think Musi he's from Soweto, I guess. So I think if if we want to stretch at something, what, what say, could yeah. be his constituency, which you know is it doesn't mean people are going to rally around him, but, but it's that sort of black. Anything, I think yeah. it's that sort of young black middle class, <laughs> and and the the other other perhaps races or transformations who who might be looking for transformation, willing to support a black leader, <laughs> but they don't want to support the ANC because because they might disagree with. Um, with the idea of corruption, with the Zuma's governments, even with issues like BE, um, you know. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Remember, you are tuned into the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. You can call in on 0861-555-189, and you can reach us on Twitter at cliffcentral.com or directly at Mzanzi Masai. We are having a competition during the show and during the whole month of April. Cliff Central is turning one, and to celebrate, we're giving away half a million rands worth of smartphones, and you can win just by listening out for the question and submitting your answer via WeChat. If you want to upgrade your phone or your phone broke or forever fell in the toilet or something like that, we'll hook you up. You got the Samsung Galaxy S4 directly from Cliff Central, courtesy of our birthday turning one. The question for this hour is how many hours is the Kelman show on Cliff Central? Um, so please go through the WeChats and, and you can reach us there. Um, next we'll be talking about xenophobic violence in the country. I mean, Greg, I know this is, I know this is something that you've been looking at. I mean, um, it seems to be taken quite seriously. I mean, the president has a, has assigned some some ministers to this. You informed me that they are, they're having an emergency meeting to discuss what's going on. Um, I mean, but Greg, just give us the update. What's going on down in Durban? Actually, right now, I think it's a it's a rather a depressing moment for me because I'm watching News 20. I'm just on my computer here. Yeah. I've got News 24 up. And I think for the first time ever, there's a, there's a live blog um, focusing – I first time I've ever seen something like this. Yeah. A live blog saying police in standoff with 2,000 people in Durban CBD Jeez. where, where locals are trying to attack and loot, um, uh, uh, stores owned by Pakistani nationals. And this thing has just gone unabated almost for the last two, three weeks, I think it was. It's, it's, it's been since. So let's go back to the start. Mm. First of all, this year we had xenophobic violence in Gauteng. Mm, you come, you covered that quite closely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I covered that that a lot. It started in Soweto in Snake Park, where where a little incident between a Somali store owner and a young boy who was on Yope turned into a huge thing and protesting and looting across Snake Park, which eventually led to the death um, of a 14-year-old local boy who was killed as as people tried to try to loot. A, uh, I think it was a Pakistani-owned store in Snake mm. Park. That spread, that went crazy for a while, you know, it lasted for a while, lasted for a while, and it, and it really displaced a whole lot of people, left a number of people uh, injured and displaced, and many, uh, no, sorry, many displaced, a few dead, many injured. So then that died down. Then I think, when was it, late last month, mm. when Zulu King, uh, Goodwill as well, said in a speech that, and, and let me just sort of paraphrase here, but foreigners must go. For the reasons that they're, they're, I think, taking our jobs and damaging our culture. In the next, I think, few days or in the next week, there was, I think, there was an industrial dispute at a factory around Durban. And I can't remember the details of this, but I think there were some guys getting fired or some guys who didn't get their right jobs or something like that. And they blamed foreigners for their, for their situation when they quoted the king's comments. Oh, and yeah, I thought we misunderstood the king. <laughs> no, because I mean, remember yeah. there was the retort. He, he did, he did say in that retort. But from what I've seen in terms of, 
in terms of that, the media um, re reusing his his audio and what he said, the media seemed very confident that he was not misquoted. Mm. So, so I no, no. Well, at the point that I'm just making is that here you have ordinary people on mm. the ground, yeah, no, saying exactly what he said. They're quoting him, but he said that no, we got it wrong. You know, it's well, lost in translation because. People like Greg and Gersh can't speak Zulu, therefore mm. we'd obviously get it wrong, which is absolute, you know. And it, well, it, well it, it, they could, I guess, say, he could say that the media took what I said and then spread it to, mm, spread it to the people and oh, then yeah. they're quoting me from the media. But even it was, I think it was the, it was the Zulu media, I think, that led with this stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't the English, English speaking press that, that I think, that I think uh, launched this, but. So that happened to this sort of small industrial dispute, and from there it's just spread. It's spread to a number of townships and, and the CBD of Durban. And yeah. <sighs> I mean, we've seen we've seen I, four I hardly people, know what to say. We've seen it's... four people killed already. Um, I mean, that, there's a, there's a, a lot more than that that's, that's unconfirmed. So we might see that death toll rise. Um, I mean, I think the question is, I mean, what happens now? I think the the I, I dare say senior leaders in the country, the, their strategy so far seems to have been to downplay. What was happening, at least in Gauteng, and say this is criminal elements, not xenophobia, and try to maybe just tone it down and and, and not and not to create panic. Um, that's that's clearly not a viable strategy anymore because I mean here we are, all right. Four people have been killed. This is happening. Um, I mean, so I, I think this, I, I, I I for the life of me don't understand what the justification was that the police came out and said it's criminal elements as opposed to using the big X word. Yeah. It's xenophobia. Simple as that. And with all due respect to analysts and really smart people that will tell me it's Afrophobia, Pakistani nationals don't come from the African continent. This is xenophobia. So in other words, the qualification literally boils down to, are you from this country or not? That's it. And then if you're not from this country, you're going to find yourself foul of an angry crowd. And um, just just this morning, I had this very same conversation mm. and you know, on my radio show. And I got very upset. Because for the last four years, I've been mm. hearing the same rubbish over and over. The same nonsense coming out. And I think that to a large extent, there's South Africans as well. In as much as I do blame people like King Goodwill Zuelatini for saying really dumb stuff. Because it is dangerous as a leader. For someone that has access, direct access. You know what? He's probably WhatsApp friends with President Jacob Zuma. If you have a concern with the number of foreigners that we have in the country, then say, hey, you know. JZ, what's going Mark on? Mark a plan, make yeah. a flare. You He's, know what I mean? As, as a traditional authority and a leader of of you know the, the Zulu nation and the Zulu kingdom, he has access part of government and has access exactly. to government policy. Yeah, legitimate channels, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he has the opportunity to say, I don't know, tighten up the borders, do something about the situation. What does raise it at the next meeting and be like, what do we do about it? Oh, yeah, rather oh, than guys, you know, it at a, by, by saying those things at a public rally. Exactly, and then when you have situations where people are dying. Then maybe it is time that the government and that the leaders start taking responsibility for this. I think uh, if we just want to quickly update on the on the government's position on this, it seems like they're finally taking things seriously. Um, Home Affairs Minister Melissa Gagaba has said that that um, political, traditional, and religious leaders should refrain from making comments that would lead to people being killed. <laughs> it's even sad that we have to have someone saying, "Don't say things that's going to get people killed." Yes. But Melissa Gagaba has at least stepped up and said that the, the Zulu King didn't seem very happy about it. But he said that. And then this morning there was a, or this afternoon there's been a, a briefing by the, the justice and security cluster briefing, the ministers there, who, who have said that they're going to send more police and they're going to take appropriate action for these groups. They're working with some of the, some of the other diplomats from countries like Somalia and Malawi, yeah. who have expressed concern and may, may even offer to bring their citizens back, to, back and repatriate them to their countries. 
and and they seem to have at least finally gotten over this thing as to being caught up on is it xenophobia or is it criminality. But I think I think it was um, the police minister who said foreigners are being targeted. Yeah. That's a sign of what it is, and that's what we need to focus on. Mm. You know, that says something. So, and we need to put an end to it right now. But following from this live blog that we have going on right now, it yeah. doesn't look like this thing's ending. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, just just in conclusion, I I, I worry about the idea of, of Malawi and Somalian government saying, you know what, we're going exactly. to try to repatriate our people, because for me that quote unquote rewards the behavior. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't want these people here. We attack them. We burn their shops, and then they left. Mm. So, like, so for me so, that's like this works yeah. so the end goal yeah. what we wanted in the first place <laughs> has been achieved even it though it was done through diplomatic means but that's exactly what we wanted I mean so I think that, that's maybe something small that I, that I, that I worry about and yeah. what does that what does that say as, about South Africa as a government as an, and as, as a nation yeah. that these other countries have to come in and, and save their citizens because they're, <laughs> they're not safe here I mean, absolutely um, just a quick reminder, you're listening to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Uh, we talked a bit about Chris Honey's legacy and the DA post Helen Ziller and briefly about the xenophobic attacks that we've been seeing happening in, in Durban. Um, now quickly we're going to switch and go, and go international. Um, I mean, I was on Facebook the other day. Um, and, and I, I stumbled upon the Hillary Clinton uh, announcement video and, and I quite liked it. I don't know. Is that something that you guys have, you guys have seen? Great. Yeah, I was quite moved, but I'm a sucker by it. I don't have a TV. It was so the I, dog. I think so, you saw the yeah. dog. And it was... So, so I, th- I think when I see, when I see any sort of emotional adverts, I'm a sucker for it. I'll buy that financial services. I'll vote for that presidential camp- uh, campaign. <laughs> I haven't seen the video yet, okay. but, um, uh, but uh, I'm very impressed by it. Yeah. I've, I've seen snippets of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, very well done. Pulling at the heartstrings. I mean, if you can get, get Greg to shed a tear silently <laughs> by himself, then yeah, it worked. <laughs> I mean, it seemed, fo- it seemed focused on families and it was just like, I think it was, it was a group of families and one is like, yeah. oh, we're focusing yeah. on our daughter. Uh, we are focusing on school. We're focusing on this. And it seems uh, uh, maybe she might be going for a sort of family based sort of middle class. Seems like very middle class family yeah. with sort of average, average ambitions that everybody can relate to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've heard and, and we'll have, uh, uh, Jay Spec, Jay Brooks Spectre on the line from the Daily Maverick pretty, pretty soon to actually tell us more about this. But I, I'm hearing rumblings that we're going to have a third Bush who will be running for president. Yeah. Right? And oh, there we go. It's about time. <laughs> okay, I'm, we're seeing a side yeah. of Gushel we've never seen before. But I, 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 I can't imagine America voting in a, a third, a third Bush in the president. You know what's an interesting thing? Yeah. This is, I'll just quickly throw this out yeah. there. What I found interesting was that Mitt Romney, everyone yeah. made a big deal about Mitt Romney yeah, running yeah, up yeah. against Obama. Yeah. Mitt Romney was the sacrificial lamb. Because at the time, and this was my question, where's Jed Bush? Where is the third Bush? The reason why he wasn't put up is because yeah. um, the Republicans took the, uh, the, the very calculated mm. risk and, and understood the chances that Obama was going to return to office anyway. It's tough. The so, incumbent uh, one is, is pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. so let's hoi Mitt out there and say, yeah. yeah, we'll give you another opportunity. And then um, Jed Bush obviously was was kept safe. He, he remained f- uh, governor of Florida, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I'm looking forward to a third Bush. I mean, this is a nice dynasty, you know. <laughs> we'll smoke them out, you know. We need someone tough to fight asses. <laughs> okay. okay. So we're gonna try. Um, we're gonna just try and bring this back. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we have Brooks on the line? We don't have Brooks just yet. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I think someone my, brings some sanity I, I think, to this conversation. I think or, my question or is, is just gonna have to continue in this. I episode. mean, I think. I mean, I dare say, not I dare say. I think it's it's generally accepted that Bill Clinton had a pretty successful term in office. Yeah, for sure. Right. Mm. Um, some stumbles along the way, but I think it's One accepted. It's yeah. accepted. <laughs> 
So I mean, I mean, how how much does that come into play? Can we expect to see him being really, really involved during the during the running? What, I, I mean, what do you think? Or do you think yeah, he'll be no. focused no, on no, Hillary, or will I, he really be exactly where she is? I haven't been following his campaign so yeah. closely, but I think what one of the things is that they're gonna they're they're going to sort of try to make sure that Bill Clinton in this campaign because he wields a huge amount of weight. Yeah. Anything he sort of does and mm. says mm. gets gets attention, and and he can really rally a lot of support around his wife. But when when Hillary Clinton was running in the Democratic um, nominations for the, for for president, what what year was that? Now two thousand seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Bill Clinton, I think, went, went a little bit off off script okay. sometimes then, and okay. I don't think he really did um, so so many. Um, he didn't really do Hillary justice on occasion. So okay. I think now they're going to try and rein him in and make sure that he was, he's really always always following the the campaign line. Yeah, and uh, but I mean, in all seriousness, I think that Hillary does stand a very good chance uh, this time around. You know, I mean, she went up against Obama, who had a very, very smart campaign. Yeah. Um, the other, the other interesting thing is, it whisperings out that the guy that helped out with Obama's social media campaign is part of the Hillary t- uh, Clinton okay. team. Oh, okay. So you, and that that's why I think we see the video that you know the nature of the video. You can already see it's pulling at the heartstrings. It's it's dealing with day to day issues that you and I are worried about, the bread and butter issues. Not sort of the and and that's a, that's the biggest problem the Republicans I think face right now is that the Republican Party is seen as a party more and more seen as a party for the one percent, and you know the Democrats are really using that very well to say that it's the average American, the day to day guy, the one that has to pay water and light bills and you know has to wake up and go to an average job. Yeah, those are the people that they're trying to appeal to, and and she's going to do that very well. I mean, you know, jokes aside about Jed Bush, yeah. I honestly think that. The Republicans will have to come out with big guns mm. to be able to dominate the, the media space and the sentiment space. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I'm going to miss Obama. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm Kenyan and I'm a bit biased to that <laughs> aspect. But I'm going to miss, I, I think some of it is, I think some of it is just going to be the, the, the pride that it, it was, Nepotism. it was seeing somebody who was being labeled as all sorts of things, man. You know, being called an Islamic terrorist, being called, you know, yeah. Kenyan and whatever. And seeing all, all that slung at him and he still, he still won and he still, mm. And he's and he and he's still you know he's there you know and he, and 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 the, and the country's still standing the country's still surviving he had a he had a he inherited a tough he inherited a pretty tough economic climate and a pretty tough global climate mm. and he and he managed to navigate it and, wh- and whether whether he was successful or not you know you you know that's up to whoever to say but fact is you know he's not leaving the country worse off than he found it and I think that's what that's worth saying and he certainly uh, had the courage to take bold steps where other leaders haven't before Absolutely. this this week's shown that how when, when it came out that he met with Raul Castro. Yeah. As well as um, as well as talking about soon lifting the sanctions yeah. um, on Cuba and working through some of these things, as well as pushing health care and a whole number of things, he actually has confronted a whole lot of things that other people haven't been brave enough to do before. I mean, we've, mm. seen, we've seen a lot of legalization of gay marriage. We've seen him really push uh, immigration and try and, and trying to um, try to move away from um, from from. Illegal immigrants who are children and so on being back deported to their home countries. And I think, I think you're right. He wasn't afraid. And I think we see this often with second term presidents. When it's the second term, it's like, okay, now, you know, it's no nonsense now. These are the things that are, that are important to me and these are the things I'm going to push. But I mean, Hillary has one major issue that she has to deal with at the moment. This yeah. is the email scandal. When That's I saw right. the tweets the first time, yes, I was like, yes, what the yes. Heck is this I was, I was hoping you'd bring this up. Yeah. Um, what I found very interesting about that is obviously now the Benghazi attacks, which is, mm, please her, give us some context. Her yeah. biggest, it's, it's basically her biggest, um, uh, political, uh, scandal, you know, um, and 
what it's turned out was that she was using her personal emails for that. The Republicans are saying that there's no email trail left of it because she's deleted. Yeah, all but of she the deleted stuff and she left off some of her emails, and uh, yeah. that was during the time when some American um, sort of sort of government officials were killed. In, yeah, yeah, in Benghazi. In Benghazi. Yeah. Now the issue, the, the the real issue with that is yeah. again just showing what what is sort of the poverty within the Republican Party yeah. at the moment because you're not coming up with a candidate that says you're not just talking absolute nonsense and these are the policies that's going to fail this country. Instead, you're going for the personal attack. Yeah. And that's why I think, really, I think it would be a good thing for the U.S. if Hillary Clinton had to become president. Especially, I think it would be extremely symbolic, having the first female president. I think that would that would really uh, make waves for, for women across the world. Absolutely. And, but, but, guys, the one thing we shouldn't discount is that she is actually someone that has experience no, in of the course. White House. Of course. Absolutely. I mean, Secretary of State, I mean, she was sent of New York. So I think we've got, we've got uh, she's got a, a very serious sort of political um, experience that she's coming into office with. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for tuning into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Please remember you can listen into the podcast and you can always continue to tweet us um, during the week between now and the next show. Um, we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Cliffcentral.com.